What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod, the daily podcast brought to you by the team behind Squawk Box. NYC, this is CNBC Control 2. CNBC's Essential Morning Show. PCR 2. Every day, get the best stories, debate, and analysis from the biggest names in business and politics. All right, we're coming to it next. Today, Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin. We have a fundamental agreement. It is subject to documentation, and there's a lot of work to be done on that front. Why it's too soon for champagne after phase one of a trade deal with China. John Hope Bryant talks tough. And I say China, with all due respect, when I stop buying, you stop building. So watch your tone. But the financial literacy entrepreneur has some tough love for America, too. You don't let a bully pop you in the face. Plus, Joe, Becky, and Andrew on Boeing's leadership and the latest Facebook feud. I had this conversation last week. Which one? We have a lot lot of the same conversations. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. It's Monday, October 14th, 2019. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. First up today on the pod, Boeing has stripped CEO Dennis Mullenberg of his role as chairman. The company said the action was taken to allow Mullenberg to focus on returning the grounded 737 MAX jet to service. The MAX fleet has been grounded since March, when the second of two deadly crashes occurred. Phil LeBeau joins us with the latest of this, I think, big decision here. Phil. I think it's a huge decision, Andrew, because for the longest time I would get questions from people where they'd say, why hasn't the board done something about either Dennis Mullenberg being chairman and CEO or other kinds of executive shakeups? Well, on Friday... The board met in a meeting that they held without Dennis Mullenberg, and they decided, you know what, you're going to split these two jobs. You're going to worry about the day-to-day operations. He has lost the chairman title. He remains CEO. The new non-executive chairman for Boeing is David Calhoun. Now, he's been on the Boeing board since 2009, so he's got a long tenure with the company. He also has some uh, vast experience when it comes to aviation. One time ran GE Aviation. So for Dennis Mullenberg, this sets up... A fourth quarter that begins with him losing the chairman title, and he's got a lot of hurdles that the company needs to clear over the next two and a half months. First of all, they've got to return the MAX to service. They are sticking with their guidance that they expect the MAX to be returned to service, at least in some countries around the world, in the fourth quarter. They have to also maintain MAX production, which is currently at 42 per month. Reportedly, there may be some tension between Calhoun and Mullenberg over whether or not they should change that production level. And then there's a congressional hearing that Dennis Mullenberg will be at on October 30th. You can bet that not only will he be grilled by uh, senators or representatives, it's a, congr- it's a House hearing, so it'll be representatives who will be talking to him at that hearing, uh, but there's going to be a lot of questions about the oversight at Boeing, so that is going to be the most important flashpoint, if you will. So for Dennis Mullenberg, now that he's CEO only, the idea is that he concentrates on the day-to-day operation and getting the max back in the air and getting the production ramped up next year while David Calhoun and the board 
concentrate at, on broader business for the company overall. Hey, Phil, and I, I'm not trying to spin this one way or the other, but but to me, my takeaway actually was that it, it, in a maybe backwards way, this was a uh, sign of confidence in Mullenberg and actually creates a new, not a honeymoon period, but probably gives him at least another 12 months to get the company back on track, which is to say, I think there was a, another right. view out there that was even more skeptical about potentially his own future at the company and had, and, and that by, by right. doing this, it, it by default creates, gives, demonstrates that the board actually is confident in him still being there. I, a, I think the board has confidence in him. Based, yeah, I think, I think you have a pretty good read on that. I do not get a sense, Andrew, from talking with people at Boeing that this is a case where the board is like, he is not the man to run this company. Certainly not the man to get this, uh, this, uh, this plane back in the air. And I don't think they want to change the leader of the company in terms of day-to-day operations at such a critical juncture. Uh, now, there are some questions about whether Kevin McAllister, who runs Boeing Commercial right. Airline, uh, Airplanes, whether or not... Uh, he should be removed from his job, or there should be some leadership shake up there. But they've already made a number of moves in the uh, in the C-suite if, in terms of responsibilities, right. et cetera. And I think right now the feeling is Dennis Mullenberg is the person to get us through this crisis. There, now, there was, you want to revisit that at some point down the road, right. that's a different question. There was some reporting over the weekend that suggested this decision was made in advance of a hearing that uh, Dennis Mullenberg is going to be right. speaking at in Washington and that this was an effort to effectively get ahead of that. To the extent that there was ever going to be, I, a- I think that's a fair read on things. I think that's a very fair read on things. And I think if you look at not only this move, Andrew, but look right. at the other moves that they made in terms of the safety committee, the way that they're going to have more direct reports in terms of how the uh, engineering uh, is structured at the company, they clearly are trying to make it uh, obvious, not only to regulators, but also to uh, the people in Washington, that they understand that things have to change at this company, and they're making those steps. More trouble for Facebook's digital currency project called Libra, because here's what happened. Stripe, MasterCard, Visa, and eBay have now and uh, have now joined PayPal in withdrawing from the coalitions that's back in that effort. And joining us right now is Anthony Papagano. He is the co-founder and partner at Morgan Creek uh, Digital Assets. Good morning. Morning. So the reason, I mean, there's a lot, of, a lot going on to unpack here, but why is everybody dropping out and what does this really say both about the future of Libra and the larger issue of crypto? Because I remember when Libra was first announced, price of Bitcoin went up, price of everything went up because there was this view that billions of people would have digital wallets and it was going to be a game changer. Yeah, I think there's three key components here, right? The first is uh, there was a letter sent by two senators uh, to a number of these companies that essentially said, look, we don't want you participating in this. We have concerns. Uh, If you move forward, not only are we going to scrutinize your Libra-related work, but we're also going to scrutinize the rest of your business. Obviously, you know, that's a lot of pressure to deal with. Isn't that a disgrace, though? I mean, can we just just make a political (laughs) statement here? You You have politicians sending letters to companies, including like a Stripe, which wants to go public. You have a Visa and a MasterCard, which people already consider to be virtual monopolies already. Effectively saying, if you don't get out of this, we're coming after you. That doesn't surprise me at all, though. I I, I think most people think that this happens anyways. It just happens in back rooms and verbally. But to put it in a letter and then post it on a website, and it literally says, if you do this, then uh, we're going to... Is this the death knell or not? 
uh, I, I, I don't think idea. so. The, you think there'll still be a Libra? Huh? Yeah, I think there'll it, still be a Libra. In, that, in a Venmo type way, it's a small... Here's the sad part, is they're basically going to kick out all the American companies, right, by pressuring them, and then if it's successful, American companies won't this benefit. Is a, this is a prime example of the difference between Libra and Bitcoin. You, can't, exactly. you couldn't even do this to Bitcoin. I was trying to think of an analogy that all my... What are they called? Hod- holders? I'm, I'm, I obviously, Hodlers. I'm, I must not be one, because I don't even know how to pronounce it. But, you know, when you talk about unforgeable value... Right. You know, and how digital gold, how crypto. I think to compare Libra to Bitcoin, it's like Libra, Bitcoin would be like actual antiques. Can I finish, please? I, when you start with that, I know you're, 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 not, you're not listening. You have no interest and you're actually going to say something before. With, with Bitcoin, you got actual an antique that takes 120 years to make. With Libra, you kind of got restoration hardware. <laughs> yeah, you know I mean, what I mean? I, it's like they, they manufacture something that looks like it was old and it's like from a previous era. It, it's not digital gold. Senator Elizabeth Warren is taking on Facebook's political ad policy that exempts politicians' ads from being fact-checked. She challenged the policy by running fake news ads on the platform. Her ad contained the false claim that Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg endorsed President Trump's re-election bid. Then she says, you might be thinking, how could this possibly be true? Well, it's not. Sorry. The ad then accuses Zuckerberg of giving President Trump free reign to lie on his platform. So to me, the most interesting part about this story was the response from Facebook, which then compared their role with TV networks and the FCC mandate effectively that you put on anything as long as it's um, approved by uh, approved by the, the candidate. And but it also then puts them into a whole other regulatory sphere. I mean, they, they effectively right, reference the more than a, than a, they reference the FCC and, and posting board exactly. Yeah, well, we had this conversation last week. Which one? We, we've one a lot, we have a lot of the same conversations. The one that you just said oh, on oh, CNN didn't run the ad, and then MSNBC and all the networks ran the, the Trump ad. Facebook ran the ad. It was the same discussion about whether that ad. I mean, CNN apparently thought that there were Trump facts in there, which they don't aren't the same as CNN facts. Although, it, look, it, it, Andrew's right that if, if they are saying we're no different than the I networks, that, that, that's, that's a much higher bar than what they've said to this point. But to this point, they've been relying on that CompuServe ruling so they, way back right, to the 80s. That would that actually be it, more? It's a higher standard than I'm just like a posting board wow. where people put stuff up that it's not my responsibility what's there saying. to check any of it. No, I know. It's, you know that to me was, the response was the, more interesting than what she, I thought what she did was clever in its own way, but to actually then get that response from Facebook, I, th- I thought that said something. That should be the least that they, they should I don't know, though. It's Anything makes its way onto that thing, right? I just want to get to uh, John Stern. He's here this morning, personal tech columnist at The Wall Street Journal and, of course, CNBC contributor. Also, uh, Joan Salzman is here, senior writer at CNET. Good morning to both of you. Good to be here. Okay, so I was more fascinated with the response from Facebook on this particular story than I was actually with what Elizabeth Warren did, though there was something relatively genius about about sort of instigating all of this. But the idea that Facebook is taking the position that it should be considered in the same breath with the FCC, I thought was news. <laughs> same, same. I mean, you've had Facebook for years now saying we're not a media company, but, oh, hey, look, look at all of these other media companies being under FCC guidelines, under FCC regulation. We should be put to the same, be held to the same task as them. And so what happens, though? I mean, does, will they be as a result of this? I think that what this really addresses is the fact that Zuckerberg has even said in that leaked audio that they see Elizabeth Warren in particular as an existential threat. Those are his words. And it's because of that threat that they're clapping back the way that they are. 
Do you think that, that she's an existential threat to that company? Well, if her mission to break up big tech is to believe, then that would be existential. I mean, Instagram, a lot of people don't even really understand, consumers that use Instagram understand that it's part of Facebook, which is right. stunning. But if those things were to be broken up, split apart from each other, then that would be a gigantic, that's where all of Facebook, well, not all of it, but the majority of its growth is really housed right now. Can I ask you a separate related Facebook question? We didn't talk about even talking about this before I saw you. On Libra, have you followed this whole situation? I have been following the fallout of Libra. And but is that a function of just the hatred for Facebook, or is that something else? I mean, I think that's unclear yet. I think we'll hopefully find out more as Zuckerberg testifies in a couple of weeks. I think a lot of that is many of these partners not really realizing before the partnership what kind of regulation would come from this I and it was all of the fallout. On yeah. Facebook and every one of these partners beforehand. Like, like you guys did they didn't not realize expect that it. this was going to be the snapback given the state you were in at that point? I, I mean, for the partners, uh, but it was, on, they don't need the But harassment. was it doing business with Facebook was the issue or the actual... Concept no, to be taking it a step further and say we're now going to create currency and be part of your digital wallet when you already had so many people concerned about the privacy and other issues that they were in charge of at that point. There are already arguments that Facebook is a quasi-state and one of the most powerful in the world. And now it's going to have a is, currency, too. Exactly. <laughs> like, you've already got this communication distribution system that is far surpasses any other sort of semi-governmental body. Um, you're defining freedom of speech issues, and they're saying we don't want to define these freedom of speech issues, but then you're getting into, oh, we'll also operate a central bank, too. And by the way, it's going to be based in Switzerland. <laughs> right. Joseph. Yes, my, my love. What, uh, what's yeah. happening else? Uh, <laughs> you tell day. me what's happening. Hey. Nothing. It's good. Columbus Day. Oh, good. Four out of six on, uh, uh, on college, and actually two out of three years I had the Jets. Of your games? I believe I had the Jets. No, I don't believe you had the Jets. Yep. I did. And you know how I started with $500? I didn't know you started with $500. Started with $500. Now we know. This is like six weeks ago, and I've been betting every week, betting every week, and hitting, hitting it out of the park. Got $550 in there now. Good for you. Six works. Six weeks. Six weeks work. betting on six every, uh, which is pretty good, I think, yeah. since they take. At least you uh, got to maintain. It's better than buying Greek bonds. Yeah. <laughs> you do this on DraftKings, or do you? I do it on DraftKings. You walk over to a bar with an I do, it, I do it on. No, I do it on DraftKings. I do it on DraftKings. And, and and if you leave the state, like I was going somewhere, and I was like, wow, okay, uh, we're heading up to Massachusetts for a wedding, and I started picking all the ones I wanted. It, your phone knows. It stops. Tried everything. <laughs> tried getting off the location. <laughs> tried taking the Wi-Fi off. Tried take. Tried airplane mode. No matter what I did, they knew where I was. That shows you something. You're being yes. tracked all These the time, no matter know what. what's going on. And they also said, and I was driving. And, and also, all of a sudden, you have a problem with it. They also said, slow down and stop texting while you're driving. Yes. It also came up on my... Were you driving when you did that? No, it didn't, did it? Uh, let's move on. Cheese will be next. Next on Squawk Pod, John Hope Bryant made a career and a nonprofit out of leveraging capitalism to reduce inequality in America. And now he has a message for Democratic presidential candidates debating our financial system. we got to start with the prosperity or pitchforks conversation in this country. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Stand by, Joe, in five seconds. 
This is Squawk Pod. Two, one, his mic, here. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Joe Kerner along with Becky Quick and Andrew Ross Sorkin. You are about to hear from John Hope Bryant. He's the founder, chairman, and CEO of Operation Hope, a not-for-profit provider of financial literacy and economic education in the U.S. John has advised Presidents Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, and Barack Obama, and he has penned three books on the intersection of leadership, capitalism, and financial inclusion in America. In the past, he's joined Squawk Box to discuss capitalism's credibility in popular culture. Today is no exception. Here's Andrew. Senator Elizabeth Warren continuing to climb in Democratic presidential primary polls. Senator Bernie Sanders explicitly highlighted key differences in their core economic philosophies in an interview with ABC's This Week. Elizabeth considers herself, if I got the quote correctly, to be a capitalist to her bones. I don't. And the reason I am not is because I will not tolerate for one second the kind of greed and corruption and income and wealth inequality and so much suffering that is going on in this country today, which is unnecessary. Bernie Sanders using capitalists now as an epithet, joining us uh, to discuss this and whether corporations uh, will take a stand on China, another issue that uh, relates to all of this in many ways. John Hope Bryan, CEO and chairman of Operation is Hope uh, this morning. Capitalist as an Operation Hope, not Operation and Hope, (laughs) although it it is Operation and Hope. (laughs) We're all hoping, we're all hoping, John. Uh, Capitalist as epithet, is that... Does that create enough uh, enough light between the two of those candidates? And is there light between it the two candidates? It creates great headlines, right? But we've got to stop with the prosperity or pitchforks conversation in this country. I, I am who I am. First of all, I think they mean well. I am who I am because... You think Bernie Sanders means well? I think Bernie and Elizabeth mean well. I think most people mean well. I have a couple people I have some hesitations about. But I, I think, we, you know, I grew up in Compton in South Central. Without capitalism and a banker coming and teaching me financial literacy at nine years old, who was Caucasian, by the way, who didn't want to be there, but the law, CRA, forced him to be there, Community Reinvestment Act. When he came and taught me financial literacy, my life fundamentally changed. I said, how'd you get rich legally? So without that, I wouldn't be who I am. I wouldn't have been who I am in China or in France or in Russia. So it's people hate rich people until they become rich. Do you, <laughs> do you think that the people that you spend time with, oftentimes in inner cities that you're trying to help, yep think of capitalism as a good thing, or do they hear Bernie Sanders and they say, right on? What, what's, what's, the, what's the prevailing view uh, uh, among, among the, some of the folks you're talking to? We're feeding fears. If capitalism helped me succeed, then I love it. If, ca- if capitalism on the other side is success, then I hate it. Most people who, my four million clients, love it because they're participating in it, and we show them how through higher credit scores, higher uh, right. aspiration. And, and I'll say what Joe hates, that capitalism needs a software upgrade. <laughs> software <laughs> upgrade. Upgrade. Yeah. No, yeah, it's, I, a, it's a clever way of, of, I understand what you're saying. At least, you're, at least you want to keep capitalism and get an upgrade. I, mean, I think Clark Bernie, that's just, I mean, it, but we, sh- we shouldn't be surprised. He honeymooned in Moscow. He, we, we know all about Bernie. But, 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 he, he's but, not a factor anyway at but, this point. But, with, with all due respect, he's also participating in capitalism. It's like right. my friends. Well, that's say an they, understatement. It's like the people my friends say they hate America. Well, then go someplace else. But no one's going jumping on a boat or a plane. Don't say go back to where you came from. You can say no, go somewhere no, else. No, okay, so by the okay. way, no one's leaving. So. Now, I'm going I'm to pivot from that conversation though to, to a related conversation. You, you talk about capitalism being the. We got to make capitalism work for the, at least these God's children, and that's why what I'm doing. Operation Hope. So, okay. And is that, hold on, real quick, is that capitalism or free enterprise? It's free enterprise. The free enterprise system. And I think it's best embodied through capitalism is like democracy. It's a horrible system except for every other system. Okay, but where are you then on taxes? 
I think, we, I think we need... Some people say, let capitalism do its thing, free market should do its thing, but then on the other end, the, the, way, the, the way to balance it is then redistribution on the tax side. Let's see if I can get Joe to Joe well, go ahead. get a, get a go rise. Ahead. I don't think it's about taxes. I think it's about aspiration and incentives. I think we need to take the tax system and reimagine it that grows the economy. You've heard me say this before. Let's incentivize, tax me more, right. but, but, but assign my revenue to massive internships, right. a gateway up, massive apprenticeships, a gateway up, doing things that grow the economy. I think people who have wealth resent if right. it's just being thrown away. John always talks about the other side. Right. He doesn't talk about just bringing down you know, and trying to cap income with the billionaires you talk about using it in effective ways. Oh, which yeah. is what I we we're going to disagree. No, we massively agree on that. When not, you said I want to incentivize people for opportunity, how would I... You think I want to disincentivize people for opportunity? But, but, but I think he wants to Wrong tax people uh, on the higher. Uh, I think That's you want to fine. tax more on the higher end. We should. Yeah, we should. We, there's too much. There's not enough. At the top. You got to tax. You, you got to. You got to go beyond that to, to really do something. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, just well, no, now, he, now he's talking about taxing people more broadly. Right. Uh, low, I, low, lower and middle income people. He wants should, to tax not, them more. We, you can't tax lower income people. Yeah, we're going to give them. We, we shouldn't be France. All right, because you just drive everybody right. out, right? But we we also and we don't want to be Greece, okay? But we have to find a we need a ladder system like we've had a hundred years ago. Okay, so here, the second question, uh, talking about the capitalist upgrade that you always talk about, yeah. capitalism needing an upgrade. How should capitalists or American companies behave? And this now it goes to the China situation Freedom's what's going not for with sale. MBA. Freedom's not for sale. When are they supposed to speak out? When are they not supposed to After speak out? After you have out? your first Ferrari, you can probably speak out. Like, it, look, if you, have, if you have one Ferrari, you don't need to be complaining about whether you have three Ferraris. The reality is that, that, we, that the, the coach had a voice. He used his voice. We, the GM. It wasn't even the coach. We're talking about the GM. General manager. He had a voice. We should be applauding his independent voice. It's part of what made him successful in America. It's part of our magnet is freedom in this country. Right. Freedom should, and by the way, I commend uh, Silver uh, for what Adam he, Silver. He, I think he's a very tough situation. Commission, Commission the NBA. Made, I thought he made a balanced statement. I think that we have got to find a balance here. We, we, our, our values can't be for sale. We cannot put our economy, our culture inside of our economy, and that's what we're at risk of doing. It's not just the NBA. It's, you know, Look, we're playing a short game. China's playing a long game, and they're cheating at the long game. And we and we're focused on money. They're focused on wealth and power. We're supposed to be smart. You don't so make what, you don't so make what, money when you can build wealth. So what should we be doing? We should we should be standing up for the thing that makes America the greatest: freedom and our values. Okay, but then what about companies yeah. that do business in? I mean, Becky talked about it last week. Russia. Saudi Arabia, you name the other country. President Trump is talking about the wonders of Saudi Arabia over the weekend because they spent hundreds of millions of dollars buying, uh, uh, you know, uh, def- defense products from us. Respectfully, yeah. I think that that's wrong. Re- my view. Maybe I, they, we shouldn't be multinational companies. We, oh, no, no. We should, we should be all over the world. But, but if I do, China says you've got to apologize or we're not going to run your games. or you, we're And, and I say to China, say, with all due respect, when I stop buying, you stop building. So watch your tone. Yeah. I think they overplayed their hand. I think we're going to see them walking this back gently. I think that we walked it back too much. Uh, and I think that we've got to find a balanced view, but we had to stand up for our own values. You don't let a bully pop you in the face. Every bully I met in the playground was, was just that, a bully. And when you push back, they went away. China needs us more than we need them. When, again, when they stop building, when we stop buying, they stop building. We have got to understand, and China has to understand, that we are in a collaborative global economy. 
And we've got to start using our might in a responsible, ethical and, uh, way. Go ahead. John, you, you, you gave kudos to Adam Silver, but it sounds like you think you should push back a little, a little more I think he's forcefully. in a tough spot. Yeah. I think he's in a tough spot and he's hurting cats. So he's got a lot of interests that he's got to align. I'm just saying, look, when, when, we, when, we have, when Joe and I have our first Ferrari, maybe we should say we're successful enough and we can afford to then stand up for our values and say, you know, I don't need four or five Ferraris. I can sort of say I'm not doing that. But here's the, here's when I was the, coming up, I, I did a couple deals I was not proud of, nothing illegal, but a couple deals. And after that, I said, I'm never going to do that again. And I'm proud to say that I've been able to succeed without doing that. And right. I think that other companies can do that as well. You at least need one other car if you own a Ferrari, because it's always going to be in the shop. In the shop. <laughs> okay, but, I agree. And I don't disagree with you, but let me, let me just play yeah. devil's advocate for a moment, which is... Push back. No, no, but, but which is this idea that some people may be getting Ferraris, but there's a lot of people uh, in, in, this, in this country who have benefited from the China relationship. And I'm not talking about people at the top. I'm actually talking about everybody else who goes to sh- and shops at Walmart and gets, and gets much lower prices and has actually been able to live dare I say, an even you know, higher standard of life, if you will, or at least a higher standard of living as a function of those lower prices. Which is exactly why every person needs to have financial literacy so you know the deal that you're, that you're now locking yourself into. President Bill Clinton once said something that I thought was very poignant. It's hard to get somebody to agree to the truth when the lie is paying their paycheck. Hmm. And that applies to so much. It's hard to get somebody to agree to the truth when the lie is paying their paycheck. Why are, is this difficult conversation with the tech companies, who are, by the way, are all about freedom right. in China? Why are we having this, why do we walk back a basic comment the gentleman made on his own voice? He wasn't speaking on behalf of the team. Right. Why are we have, so let's just call it what it is and then begin to have an honest conversation. I'm willing to acknowledge that we've never discussed this before. I don't, I'm not blaming anybody. I think well, this, is un, this is uncharted territory. We've never talked about giving up capitalism in, uh, 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 in total. And by the way, maybe this is a constructive way of getting us to a point where we actually advance or upgrade capitalism. But, you know, that works in so many areas, though, John, and it, it, when people are for self-interest. Now, enlightened self-interest is something that probably, in the end, benefits a lot of people. Uh, absolutely. Enlightened but you, you could say about, uh, why do we have trouble with teachers' unions? Why do we, are they ever going to, to face the, the truth on what we need to do with our education system? So let's, Joe, this is brilliant. So, here, so let, let's just not talk about what we're against. Let's talk about what we're for. Here's two great examples. KKR. Yes, I said KKR. <laughs> and Delta Airlines. So Pete Starvos and Henry Kravis has taken their industrials division. 900,000 900, employees, $200 billion in revenue. And they have incentivized their workers making 20 bucks an hour right. with profit sharing. Guess what? Morale goes up. Right. Friction goes down. Delta is profit sharing. Bastion's doing the same thing. Yeah, look, we gotta, when you're being run out of town, get in front of the crowd, make like a parade. We have got to find a way to let America share in the prosperity. Unions should not be at odds right. with companies. John Hope Bryant, appreciate it. Thank you. Straight from Compton. Next on Squawk Pod, deal? No deal? Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin feels confident the U.S. and China will reach a trade agreement at least the first part of one. There's a fundamental agreement in principle. We have every expectation that phase one will close. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. 
or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Stand Andrew by in five seconds. Four, this is Squawk three, Pod. Here's two, Andrew Ross Sorkin. One. Up and Andrew, cue. We want to get uh, over to Washington right now to get the latest developments on the U.S.-China trade talks, which... Uh, seem to now be up in the air all over again. Kayla Tausha joins us with the latest. Good morning, Andrew. Friday marked a significant de-escalation with China, which is calling the event simply progress. Over the next five weeks, the partial deal must be written, and a person close to the talk says another round of in-person negotiations is likely necessary to get that done before the APEC summit in Chile. President Trump touted the deal's agricultural purchases and currency transparency. Licenses for Huawei will follow a separate track. And Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin has said it also includes chapters on intellectual property and enforcement that are core to this dispute. But it includes less than the administration had been hoping. China will lift operating barriers in three financial sectors, but that's a small portion of industry openings that the U.S. had been asking for, according to my sources. For now, tariff hikes this week are off, and negotiators are suggesting they'll work to avert a scheduled tariff round on December 15th. China reportedly wants that called off before signing. Ambassador Robert Lighthizer on Friday said there's plenty of time to make that decision, but as we know, guys, a lot can happen in five weeks. Andrew. Okay. Kayla, thank you for that report. For more on the trade talks, let's bring in our newsmaker of the morning, Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin. Mr. Secretary, thank you for being here today. Good morning. It's good to be here with you. Can you uh, fill us in on what you think about all these uh, news reports that we're hearing at this point? A lot of headlines that are out there today suggesting that the deal we thought we had is still a long way from being finalized before we can even call this the first phase of the deal. What, what, What do you think? Well, I, w- I wouldn't pay too much attention to all the daily headlines that speculate things one way or another. What I will tell you is we made substantial progress last week in the negotiations. We have a fundamental agreement. It is subject to documentation, and there's a lot of work to be done on that front. But it includes intellectual property rights. It includes financial services. It includes currency and foreign exchange. And it also includes very significant structural issues in agriculture. Uh, on top of significant purchases. So I would describe phase one as quite substantial. And as the president has said, as soon as we get phase one complete, we'll move to phase two. The uh, uh, one substantial thing that we've seen, the concrete thing that we've seen, is that the the additional tariffs that were due to be imposed on October 15th have been put off by our side. Is there anything that you can concretely say that this is also going to be done by the Chinese as a result of this, or does everything still need to be uh, finalized on paper? No, China, China has agreed on agriculture that they're going to take off tariffs on agriculture and they're going to start purchasing agriculture. And they, they had been in the market, but they'll be stepping that up. But uh, we'll, be, we'll be working very closely with them over the next few weeks to try to get this agreement to a signing in Chile. 
One of the things I'd read over the weekend in terms of those agricultural purchases is that the Chinese side already seems to be laying some conditions to that, saying that uh, any purchases would have to align with the need of Chinese companies or state-owned businesses, that they didn't think it would be fair to be asked to divert purchases from other countries like Brazil in order to make these purchases. And uh, this is rich. They also think that it should be up to WTO standards to not uh, affect or influence any of those markets. Was that your understanding in terms of what they'd be doing from an agricultural buy point? Well, we we did not discuss specifically whether they're diverting sales or not diverting sales. That's obviously up to them. We did discuss very specific targets. Uh, They're very big targets. I think they had some concerns as to whether our farmers could meet those numbers. We think they can. But uh, we expect this is a great deal for our farmers. I'm guessing you mean the $50 billion that they had agreed to, at least that's our understanding of it. Was that an up to $50 billion, like when a company says it's going to buy up to $5 billion in stock, back in stock? Or is that your idea that these targets would be targets that they would hit? It's, it's 40 to $50 billion, and that's the range that we would expect them to hit, although there is some scaling up to get to that given the amounts. Uh, Mr. Secretary. And, and, and again, okay. short-term scaling. Short-term scaling. Let's talk a little bit about the additional tariffs for December 15th that are also still uh, being threatened to be imposed by the United States. If there is not a deal that's reached between now and then, would those tariffs take place if there's not a deal that's actually signed? I have every expectation if there's not a deal, those tariffs would go in place, but I expect we'll have a deal. What else can you tell us? I know you had laid out that there were things like intellectual property, um, and some other issues that were hard, uh, hard li- that were negotiated during this. What can you tell us about the overall structure and what you think will actually take place? Well, I think, you know, we've, we've always talked about there's multiple chapters. So in this case, we've closed out several of the chapters. Uh, in the case of services, we broke it into a financial services and non-financial services. The financial services will close out this time. The rest of the services will will deal with in phase two. Meaning closed out, meaning that's not going to be renegotiated? Meaning closed out, we've reached a fundamental agreement, and now it's subject to making sure the document reflects that. How do you think that this will be enforced? What, what are your assurances there? Uh, both sides have absolutely agreed to that there needs to be a dispute resolution and that it needs to have real enforcement mechanisms. It's something we've talked about extensively. I expect that the, the agreement we sign does have a dispute and enforcement provision. My understanding of those enforcement provisions in the past and, and the real sticking points came that the United States wanted to be able to basically unilaterally decide whether China was agreeing with this. China wanted to make sure they had a seat at the table, too. What's your understanding now of what that enforcement, enforcement mechanism would look like? Well, we've developed a very extensive process. There's still a few words that need to be agreed on. I'm not going to go through the specifics of how the enforcement works, but what we have talked about before is that both sides will set up large offices to deal with these issues. And my expectation is that most of these issues will be dealt with uh, from USTR and from China before it gets to actually an enforcement process. Mr. Secretary, uh, related issue, uh, a little bit different than trade specifically, but a lot of U.S. companies are, are watching both the trade war play out, but also uh, the situation with the NBA play out last week. And, and they're thinking through what they can and cannot say uh, when it relates to doing business with China and doing business with other countries, frankly. Uh, I'm curious where you land 
on whether you think a player or a team team member or a member of the NBA or or or, or any U.S. company uh, can or should be able to speak freely uh, about their views, which might be uh, at odds uh, over this issue in Hong Kong with the Chinese government and the implications of that. I think in this case, people at the companies, meaning the NBA, the NBA itself, it has processes in China, and this is up for them to work out. It's not, and not, not for us to dictate what they should be doing. Mr. Secretary, I think part of the, the conundrum, of course, though, is so much of what the United States represents is this idea of the First Amendment and the idea that you can speak freely uh, on these issues, and yet, obviously, in China, you can't. And there are some people, including some of our guests earlier today, who said, look, you know, from a values perspective, from a moral perspective, they should be able to speak out and they should. What do you think of that? Well, what I think is there's no question there are values and morals that the United States stands for. On the other hand, there's different legal and political systems. And we're not looking to change China's legal and political system. What we're looking to make sure is that as it relates to the issues that we're focused on, there are laws, the laws are enforced, that people have property rights, that people can have contracts. But uh, as it relates to the overall political system, obviously they have a very different political system than we do. What, what's planned at this point, Mr. Secretary, in terms of the, the next phase? Who, you going there, they're coming here, do you, any details on that? Well, the, the next phase is there, there's deputy-level calls that will be going on this week. Uh, Ambassador Lighthizer and myself will have a principal-level call next week with the vice premier. Uh, my expectation is we'll have the deputies meet between now and Chile, and uh, my expectations are, are that we'll be meeting with the vice premier in Chile uh, before the presidents meet to finish the deal. Also, Mr. Secretary, can we ask you about Turkey and the threatened sanctions there? Where does that stand right now? Um, I met in the Situation Room yesterday. This is obviously an evolving situation. It's, it's complicated. Uh, we are monitoring it daily. Uh, we'll be having another meeting in the Situation Room this morning with the National Security Team. We'll be updating the President later today, and we'll be presenting different options. As I've said, the, the sanctions are ready when the President wants to move forward on them. At this point, does it look like Turkey has gone well beyond what they had told us they'd be doing? Well, I'm, I'm not going to comment uh, on, on those discussions, but I would say it is, it is a complicated situation. On the one hand, we have Turkey, who is a full member of NATO and an ally with us, fighting the Kurds who have helped us uh, on ISIS. And obviously, we are very concerned about the humanitarian issues, and we're monitoring it uh, very carefully. Secretary Mnuchin, thank you for your time today. Thank you. That's the show for today. On our rundown tomorrow, what does Jeff Bezos really want? A look into the Amazon founder and CEO's master plan from the Atlantic writer Franklin Foer. He went back to Bezos' high school speeches for some answers. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Joseph. Yes, my love. What, uh, what's yeah. happening else? Uh, happy <laughs> you tell Monday. me what's happening. Hey. Nothing. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys.
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.